And now, ladies and gentlemen, I'm pleased to introduce today's topic. The Children's Rights and Business Principles were recently developed by UNICEF, the UN Global Compact, and Save the Children. These groundbreaking principles are designed to assist the private sector in taking action to respect and support children's rights. Here at home, Canada has traditionally been highly regarded for its global leadership in securing the future of our young people. Our businesses are known for high operating standards and understand the importance of corporate social responsibility locally and abroad. While children's rights may not be top of mind in the workplace, the facts show the significant direct and indirect impacts of our work ethic on children. There are 2.2 billion children under 18 years old in the world, almost one-third of the planet's population. One billion of them are deprived of essential services for survival, and almost 10% of children around the world are involved in child labor. This afternoon, we are pleased to be the podium where this important initiative is launched in Canada. We have a wide-ranging discussion planned. David Morley from UNICEF Canada, Patricia Erb from Save the Children, and Halle Bank Jorgensen from the Global Compact Network Canada will first present the principles. Then we are pleased to have MP Lois Brown, Parliamentary Secretary to the Minister of International Development, to welcome the principles in Canada. And finally, Diana Bishop will moderate a panel discussion featuring four of Canada's most successful businesses when we welcome John Coyne from Unilever Canada, Doug Horswell from Tech Resources, Juanita Montalvo from Sheraton International, and Brendan Seal from IKEA Canada. So to begin, let me first welcome David Morley to our podium, who will then be followed by Patricia and Halley. David, the Canadian Club of Toronto's podium, Canada's podium of record, is yours. Thank you very much, Gordon, for your welcome, and thanks to everyone at the Canadian Club of Toronto for hosting us today, along with everybody who has come here from, from business, media, civil society, and government. Thank you for being here for this important topic. Back in 2011, Save the Children, UNICEF, and the UN Global Compact consulted widely to ascertain just what is the impact of business on children. And as a result of this dialogue, we launched the Children's Rights and Business Principles to help businesses respect and support children's rights in the workplace, in the marketplace, in the environment, and in the community. Now, let me be clear. These, these are not another framework, another set of checkboxes that we're asking people to fill in. What these principles do is give businesses a child rights lens to view what they already do and help them integrate children's rights into existing policies and practices. Children are too often overlooked as stakeholders and are particularly vulnerable to the impact of business operations. And addressing children's rights is not only the right thing to do, it is a way for businesses to better manage risk to enhance reputation, and to motivate their workforce. So we've developed an implement, uh, implementation tools for businesses so they can integrate children's rights into their policies and practices. Well, into your policies and practices. And these are now publicly available. 
We're also conducting pilot projects in specific sectors like the extractive industry. We're proud to release these principles here in Canada today, and they're an important first step in our journey together to respect and protect children's rights. And my colleagues and I will briefly take you through each of the principles now. Principle one establishes that all businesses should meet their responsibility to respect and support children's rights. You can do this by making a policy and practical commitment to children and children's rights and supporting children's rights through your business activities and your social investments. All businesses should implement Principle 1. The remaining nine principles address specific areas of risk which vary by sector. And I will now ask my colleague Patricia Erb, the CEO and President of Save the Children Canada, to take you through Principles 2 and 4. Thank you, David. It's always a pleasure to share a panel with you and also for Save the Children to work together with UNICEF in many initiatives throughout the world. And this one in particular um, is very important because we're working together but also with businesses and with the UN Global Compact. And that's how you do change when you join with others. You can't do it alone. So the business principles I'm going to speak about, two, three, and four, all have something in common, and they relate to work. Work is something that Save the Children has worked for decades, and we, we care about doing it right. Um, we, we see the hazards of children and work, and also the benefits of achieving decent work for their caregivers, also getting the conditions of work in order. Recently, business leaders gathered in Davos, and they focused largely on inequity. Why? In today's world, inequity is started to see as one of the economic and safety risks that we really have to pay attention to. The World Bank has established as its first goal to reduce inequality in the world. So work, how we do it, who does it, how it's decent or not, has an, a very strong impact on this um, effort of reducing inequality in the world in achieving the well-being through education, um, health of children. So in, in order to not go over five minutes, let's see what the business principles say about work. Business principle number two um, addresses how businesses can contribute to the elimination of child labor, including in all business activities, and in business relationships. It's very important that when businesses are trying to um, reduce uh, child labor, they do it fully in the best interest of children. And we do have some evidence of when we've taken children out of work 
and didn't look at what was going to happen afterwards, and they could be in worse situations. So I'm going to focus on a good example within the agriculture sector in Ghana, on the cocoa business. This is an organization um, that is a fair trade certified organization called Copacala, Copa Coco, and they um, are very interested in understanding deeply the situation of children. So they organize the farmers that they work with in spaces where they can discuss the issue. They have premiums for school um, contribution for children, and so children are insured education. But they also cherish the tradition that farmers have of having children help them with some of the activities, and in this way, learn the trade from their parents. This, they understand this to be an element on how you achieve sustainable productivity in the whole value chain. However, they're very diligent and monitor situations where children are put in hazardous conditions and have mechanisms with which they can deal with that quickly. Principle number three has to do with um, addressing global poverty through calling on businesses to provide decent work for young workers, parents, and care caregivers. And that's very straightforward. If parents have a decent wage, of course, they, the children will have better chance of going to school, getting an education, having better nutrition, having health. Another element that we could consider within decent work is when young workers are trained um, to break from the cycle of poverty and become more skilled. The benefit, of course, to the businesses is that they, they then now have a workforce that is more motivated, skilled, and creative. So many times, the benefits go for both sides. Finally, principle number four demonstrates how businesses can ensure the protection and safety of children in all business activities and facilities. So in the workplace, it's very important that children in no moment be in a situation of exploitation, abuse, and harm. And here we're also speaking about the children that, that may come with parents or let's say in a situation like a construction site where children can be either at work time or out of work time in an environment where there could be hazards. It's very important to take care of, of what can happen. Another piece in, in safety might have to do with young workers in the workforce, those that are working at an accepted age limit, and ensuring that they do not have harm, but also don't have situations that could exploit them. And here I would like to do an example of, um, of a farm in Egypt where uh, they, they hired, the, the name is Jane, uh, Jane Jana Farm House, sorry. 
they, they hired young female workers who were having conflict and tension with the employer. And the employer was brought, or management was brought to discuss with them. The reason they were having tension was because there was no appropriate gender, genderly appropriate water and sanitation facilities. So when they learned about this, they were able to provide with the facilities and um, the tension went away. The, um, the rights of the workers were upheld, but as a result, productivity also increased. So now I want to hand over to Helle Bank, my colleague from the UN Global Compact, who will go through the next three business briefings. Thank you very much, Patricia. I am delighted to be here. Uh, it's not even been a year since we launched the Global Compact Network here in Canada. And we have simply had so much support, both from companies, organizations, as well as fantastic organizations that we're working with, Save the Children and, and UNICEF. So thank you very much for that. Um, I should say that children's rights are very, very close to my heart. I, um, I started my career actually helping companies like IKEA, uh, Lego, Nike, with their code of conduct and training their suppliers around the world. And I must say that I also were traveling around the world to factories where I saw both the positive impact and the negative impact that big business can have on, on small hands. Um, so it's very close to my heart for that reason. The other reason is that I have a son. And, um, is also in the sixth grade, like we have three sixth graders here in, uh, today. So this is very, very close to my heart. So allow me to uh, go through the principles number five, six, and seven. So the principle number five, all businesses should ensure that products and services are safe and seek to support children's right through them. So now a little bit of exercise. I want you to raise your hand if you're a parent, a grandparent, aunt, uncle, love a child, is a child. Okay, I think I have you all. Thanks. Um, I, I expect that we all want to keep our children safe. And when I say our children, it's both our children, that the ones that you love, but actually all children in the world. And when I say save, it, it's both a question about, you know, what is it that they eat? What is it that they drink? What is it that they wear? What is it that they, um, you know, play with? What is it that they, the beds that they're sleeping in, the cars that we're driving them around in? We want them to be safe, right? Yeah? Um, so the, this principle is all about ensuring and supporting the safety of products and services for children. For example, um, for companies, this may entail anything from the testing and research of product to monitor who actually buys the product, so who's the consumers, um, to prevent the sale of products and services that's unsuitable for children, and eliminate actually discrimination in, in the provision of, of products and services. 
That's number five. Number six sounds like this. All business should use marketing and advertising that respect and support children's rights. Um, as a mom and as a consumer, and I'm sure a lot of you here will agree with me, when you go, um, my, my son, when we went to the supermarket or, or the, the grocery store and we went through the ale with all the cereal, um, we had to stop, not, not now, but, but when he was younger, because there was these great pictures and there was these promises about toys in the cereal. And so we simply had to stop and look at that. Um, and so this, pro this principle is not only underlines the importance for companies to ensure that marketing and com communication do not have an adverse impact on children's rights, but also that the marketing practices actually promote and support children's self-esteem, the right to be themselves, uh, their identity, the healthy lifestyle that they allowed to you know, have the right to play, that they have an active lifestyle, uh, and of course also nonviolent uh, values. The last of the principles. I will go through principle number seven. Sounds like all businesses should respect and support children's rights in relation to the environment and to land acquisition and use. See, this principle underscores the more indirect and often unforeseen impacts that businesses can have on children. Um, it's about the world that we're actually going to leave to our children. So, but businesses must consider the children's rights as an integral component of human rights. Um, that's being when acquiring land or considering the impact on business, um, the operations in terms of damaging the environment or the water, um, negative health impacts, and, and actually also at, have these addressed when, when they do contingency planning. So this is like, what is the world that we're going to leave for our children? Um, these were the three principles I, I was given. So I will now invite David to come again and to conclude with the principle eight uh, to 10. Thank you. Thank you, Hella. Principle eight addresses how businesses should respect and support children's rights when they're making security arrangements. This means explicitly addressing children's rights and children's issues in security contracts and not recruiting or using children in their security arrangements. For example, in the Philippines, there's a private company that's offering vocational training on sugarcane farms to working-age young children, young people, who've been associated in the past with some of the arms, armed groups there. That's not only ensuring that children are safe in security arrangements, but taking it into account as they go forward. Principle 9 identifies how businesses can help children affected by emergencies. First of all, it's by raising the awareness of the increased risks and the disproportionate risks that children suffer during emergencies. And also, wherever possible, to support authorities and, and aid organizations in their emergency response. 
And a great example of that was after the earthquake in Haiti, Air Canada delivered 100 tons of emergency supplies to aid agencies in Haiti, including UNICEF and Save the Children. And finally, principle 10 expects that businesses will reinforce government and community efforts to protect and fulfill children's rights. We know it's not enough for us to do it alone. It takes more. It does take the government and the community. So that means respecting the rule of law and paying taxes so that services can be delivered, and also contributing to strategic social investment programs in cooperation with government and with local civil society that enhance the lives of children. And you'll hear a lot about some examples there from the panel who will be following me because we have some of the exemplary comp Canadian companies who will be sharing, sharing their experiences. Today isn't just an event to present these ten, the ten principles to you. We believe, save the children, the United Nations Global Compact, UNICEF, we believe it can be the start of a new phase in collaboration between Canadian businesses and civil society on children's rights. The next step on this is on March the 10th. There's going to be a follow-up meeting, the information is here, at UNICEF's offices here in Toronto. Please, Join us there. This is a great opportunity for Canadian businesses to become world leaders in building a better future for children. Thank you. Thank you, David, Patricia, and Halley for the introduction of the principles. Uh, let me now welcome Lois Brown, MP and Parliamentary Secretary to the Minister of International Development, to welcome the principles to Canada. Thanks. I am so pleased to be here with you today, and I really want to say thank you for not making me the last speaker between them and lunch. Always a dangerous place to be in. I'm here on behalf of Minister Paradis, who sends his very best to you and uh, wants to thank you for this great initiative. And I'm pleased to be joined by Diane Giacovella, who I know has been introduced earlier, but she's the Assistant Deputy Minister for Global Issues and Development. And uh, thank you, Diane, for taking the time to be here. So on behalf of the Government of Canada, we are all very excited about today's launch. I would like to thank Save the Children, UNICEF and the UN Global Compact for all their hard work to get the children's rights and business principles off the ground. With more than 30 national launches around the world, you have inspired companies, governments and civil society to become champions for children's rights and protection. With the launch of the children's rights and business principles in Canada, you are inspiring Canadian companies and civil society here to do the same. You are leading the way. Because our government's top development priority is maternal, newborn and child health, we are very proud to support this initiative. The principles go hand in hand with our priority to secure the futures of children and youth, to stimulate economic development, and to promote private sector engagement in sustainable development. 
They also speak to Canadian values like respect for freedom, democracy, human rights, and the rule of law. Canada has a very strong history of supporting children's rights, and we recognize the importance of international standards to protect children from violence, exploitation, and harm. This includes the Convention on the Rights of the Child, which is celebrating its 25th anniversary this year. You know, it has been said that children are one-third of our population and all of our future. They are, quite literally, our most precious resource. If we protect their rights, if we keep them safe from harm, including the worst forms of child labor, if we help them to grow up to be healthy and educated and encourage their participation in society, these children could lead a brand new industry. They could cure a dreaded disease, or they could touch a horizon that we can't even glimpse today. Governments, companies, civil society, individuals, we all have a role to play in ensuring that children, particularly those living in developing countries, have a chance at fulfilling their potential today so they can have a brighter future. But in order to do this, public and private sectors need to work in sync, not at odds with one another. As many of you know, it was a Canadian academic and former UN official, John Ruggie, who led the groundbreaking UN Guiding Principles on Business and Human Rights, which called for companies to pay particular attention to the health, the safety, and the well-being of children. The children's rights and business principles are a direct response to that call. These 10 principles offer guidance to companies on how to respect and support children's rights in the workplace, the marketplace, and the community. The principles also remind us that girls may face different risks than boys, so actions should be tailored appropriately. Compliance is voluntary, but make no mistake, this is not window dressing. Canadian companies understand that it is in their best interest to follow responsible business practices in order to maintain or achieve their social license to operate. Respect for children's rights is not add-on. It's not charity work. Businesses are increasing, increasingly recognizing that this is part of their long-term return on investment. The business case for respecting and supporting children's rights is clear. Supporting the health, the education, and the safety of children is vital to creating a stable and productive business environment. Taking positive action for children's rights is key to building strong relationships with the communities in which companies work. And promoting skills training and youth employment is critical to ensure that the next generation has the skills businesses need to prosper. 
I am encouraged to hear that so many companies are integrating these considerations into their operations. Companies like Share It International, and I had a great chat earlier with Juanita. I look forward to hearing from her about uh, the things that they're doing, particularly in Madagascar, doing great work to protect children from exploitation, violence, and abuse. And IKEA, taking on taking industry-wide approach to to eliminating child labor. This is welcomed and it is encouraged. Our government recognizes the tremendous power of the private sector to reduce poverty, to improve people's lives, and to transform communities. That's why we are broadening the opportunities for the private sector, local, Canadian, and multinational, to contribute their expertise toward improving children's lives in developing countries. We have leadership stories to tell. Our government's child protection partnership, for example, with Microsoft, the RCMP, the International Institute for Children's Rights and Development, UNICEF Canada and others, has protected thousands of children in Thailand and Brazil from online sexual exploitation. In Ghana, our government supports a project implemented by the World University Services of Canada and co-financed by Rio Tinto Alcan to strengthen the local government's ability to provide quality education and for 134,000 people who are affected by the mining community, access to clean, safe water. The project also provides skills training to 325 young people to help diversify their local economy. Canada is also part of alliances like the Zinc Alliance for Child Health with Tech Resources. And Doug, I know that you've done great things with Tech Resources and the Micronutrient Initiative. And to develop and implement zinc treatment programs to improve nutrition and save millions of children's lives. And I have seen the results of this program, particularly in Bangladesh and Malawi. And I just want to say thanks for making an incredible, incredible difference. So I've given you just a few examples, but there are many, many more. Ladies and gentlemen, by coming together today, you are showing mutual accountability for children's rights, and that is what good leadership is all about. It's important to remember that before Mr. Ruggie introduced the UN Guiding Principles on Business and Human Rights, no one used the term human rights due diligence in the business context. Now, it's a permanent part of the international business lexicon. And it's great to see that the children's rights and business principles take that one step further, offering companies additional guidance on how to respect human rights, particularly those of children. Now, businesses in more than 30 countries around the world, including here in Canada, are better placed to evaluate their operations through the lens of children's rights and take more concrete steps to make a meaningful difference. And this is something around which all Canadians can rally. Now, I'm going to tell you why this is all so very personal to me. I'd like to tell you a story about a young man by the name of Kofi Asante, who arrived in Canada at Laurentian University with a physics 
a master's in physics, who completed a second master's at Laurentian University in material sciences and went on to complete his doctorate in electrical engineering at an American university. But while he was at Laurentian University, he met and fell in love with a young lady by the name of Shannon. Dr. Asante, Kofi, returned to Ghana with his expertise and his bride to take his expertise back there to help his country. Shannon is teaching grades four to six English. And why do I know all this? Because Kofi is my son-in-law. Sorry. Africa is my family. So from my heart, I want to say to each one of you, thank you so, so much for protecting the rights of children. Thank you so much for being a global inspiration. And thank you so much for being Canadian leaders. Thank you very much, Lois. Uh, let me now call upon Diana and our panelists, John, Doug, Juanita, and Brendan, to um, discuss the principles. And while they're making their way up here, let me just remind everybody that we do have Q&A cards at each of the tables, so please feel free to write down your questions. Somebody will be by to collect them, and we'll pass them on to our panelists. I'll get started for the sake of time. I also am very honored to be here um, and moderate this illustrious panel. But I know a lot of you are here because you want to hear from the private sector and hear some real examples of what these companies are doing. And we are very fortunate today to have some real trailblazers at this table. And so, um, you know, as a former journalist or journalist by trade, I still do a lot of writing, um, you know, it's really been in my experience that we communicate best in stories, just like Lois has done. So I'm going to ask that, uh, because this is such a broad topic and it can go off in so many different directions, and there are so many wonderful things that are happening in this area, then I'm going to invite my guests here today to give us uh, concrete examples, to tell us a story and share their experiences. So our format is as follows. Each panelist has three minutes. Okay, I'm laughing because I already know what that means. <laughs> three minutes. Do we all know what three minutes is? Okay. <laughs> to tell us a little bit about their company and what they're doing in respect to uh, children's rights and business principles and how they're also promoting that area. And then once each of you has had a turn, I might have a question for you. And then we can take some questions from the floor. You all have these cards at your table, the Q&A cards. If you have a question, please write it down clearly so that we can read it. Raise your hand so that one of our monitors can come by and pick it up. And if you want a question specifically asked to one member of the panel, please make that clear for me. Otherwise, I'll open it up to all of them. And please, everybody, just jump in and make this a conversation. Okay? So on that note, we're going to start really much in the order that we're going this way. So John from Unilever. Please. A short straw. <laughs> Good afternoon, everybody. 
Thank you, Diana. And thank you to the Canadian Club for sponsoring this, uh, this event today. And congratulations, not thanks, but congratulations to UNICEF, Save the Children, and the Global Compact for the work that's been done in this space and the opportunity that the private sector now has to intersect appropriately with government and civil society in trying to bring to life these principles that we've been talking about today. Now, Unilever has been working with each of these groups around the world in this area for quite some time, but Unilever is not a name that trips off people's tongues on an ongoing basis since it's not a brand that is exceptionally well known to a lot of people. We are a very large consumer packaged goods company. And I would begin today by speaking as follows. Play outside, eat healthier, eat smarter, respect each other, build self-esteem, consider the planet in how we do our work and how we live our lives each day, and then overarch that by surrendering our short-term biases and focus on long-term needs and solutions. Now, each of those statements for us at Unilever has a brand and a series of products that actually stands behind it. We are an immense organization. 160 million times a day, somebody buys one of our products, but over 2 billion times a day, somebody uses our products. We have an extraordinary network of 170,000 people scattered around the world committed to the kinds of values that I'm going to speak about in a moment. And the brands that we sell the kinds of brands that I expect to find in everybody's homes, including Dove and Basel and Ben and & Jerry's. We sell to consumers the products that they want, but we are custodians of the brands that they respect. And our heritage of over 130 years informs the modern incarnation of our strategy, which we call the Unilever Sustainable Living Plan. Now, that's an ambitious series of objectives. We're going to double the size of our business. We're going to improve the livelihoods of over a billion people across this planet. And we're going to cut our environmental footprint in half, all in 10 years. By any measure, that is an immense task. But we are an immense enterprise. And so we have an obligation to lean into these kinds of challenges. And while we are a consumer goods company, our business can only succeed as part of healthy, vibrant communities in all of our geographies. Our vision considers that those healthy communities and healthy lifestyles are fundamental to properly representing the children's rights and business principles into our culture, our values, and our operations. And as been mentioned, this is more than just a compliance exercise. So whether it is creating or deploying advanced marketing and advertising principles we're leading the work of concerned children's advertisers here in Canada over many years. The framework's principles are elements of our work. Whether it is a Dove campaign for real beauty with its emphasis on realistic physical portrayals in mass advertising, or the Dove self-esteem fund that to date has reached over 1.2 million Canadian girls with self-esteem workshops in schools and online, indeed, the framework's principles will be in our work. Similarly, the Hellman's Real Food Movement represents our branded effort to get Canadians to eat healthier prepared meals at home and in school cafeterias, all in support of key framework principles. But as with many efforts, this is a journey, not of compliance, but of responsible leadership and of the trust and the loyalty that flows from that. 
a journey to always see that the framework properly is reflected in the way in which we present ourselves in the market and build, therefore, our value chain with you, our consumers. For us, it goes without saying the principles five and six, products, services, advertising, and marketing, will be clearly areas of relevant activity for us. But it is the connectivity of these principles that actually matters the most. Connectivity of safety, respect, protection, education, good health, and improved livelihoods. So around the world, the Lifeboy brand of ours will teach children the simple basics of hand washing to cut diarrheal diseases and give kids and their communities a better shot at prosperity and good health. In India, our Shakti and entrepreneurial program will deliver a message of hope, of dignity, economic responsibility, and community value to millions of women and their girls. And closer to home, in addition to our branded campaigns, we will stay in the schools with our design curriculum, eco-voyageurs, teaching kids about their own environmental footprint and reinforce for employees and customers and consumers the value of maintaining a leading position when it comes to matters of renewable energy and waste management with a view to creating a more sustainable future. This is indeed a journey, but it is also a point in time to reflect on where we are at with the framework and where we will go with the engagement of all of the participants today. Unilever is delighted to be joining you in this challenge and on this journey, and I thank you very much for your time. Thank you. <clears throat> Great. Yeah, boy. <laughs> well done. Now we'll move to Doug from Tech Resources. Thank you, Diane. I work for a mining company, but the last six years I've had the great joy and privilege to spend most of my time and energy helping to save children's lives. Our company um, focus around rights of the children probably is number 10, and I, I would speak to that. The, um, you may know that diarrhea and pneumonia are, are two of the biggest killers of children in the world. You may know that the Millennium Development Goal number four was aimed at uh, reducing child deaths by two-thirds between 1990 and 2015. You may also know that um, the Secretary General of the United Nations has one of his priorities in his, in his uh, last term has been to reduce and eliminate stunting. All of those um, phenomena are subject to or can be treated by zinc. We're a zinc producer. The first story that I want to tell you doesn't talk about our, our sites and our operations, which is most often what you hear about when you hear mining companies talk about corporate social responsibility, but it's really a global initiative with partners including UNICEF, the Government of Canada, Micronutrient Initiative, through something called the Zinc Alliance for Child Health, where we're trying to get zinc into the hands of mums, mums who have to care for kids who are uh, dying unnecessarily from continual bouts of diarrhea. I was traveling in uh, rural Senegal a year and a half, two years ago, and I met a woman named Nagoni Side. And Nagoni had recently been elected the uh, volunteer health workers. They call them DSDOMs. I don't know exactly what that stands for. And in the short time that we were visiting with her, she was interrupted three times by mums um, who were coming in with sick children. The third time, by a mum with, a, woman, with a, ch a child, a little boy named Mohammed Tone. Now, Mohammed 
was maybe 16 months old. It was hard to tell from his size, but he had had maybe seven, eight, nine bouts of diarrhea in his short life. His village had um, counseled his mum to feed him with, um, treat him with uh, monkey bread fruit juice. But he kept getting worse, and so finally somebody suggested that she make the five-kilometer trek to the village where Nagomi um, held her um, council in her offices. Nagomi had earlier been trained um, by people from the ZAC initiative on the uh, use of zinc and oral rehydration salts as a treatment for diarrhea. The uh, previous times that that particular function, the DSDOM function, had been focused on malaria, but we had added the diarrhea treatment. She treated Muhammad with that, and Muhammad responded almost immediately. Um, but then in follow-up, I learned afterwards that he did recover. Not only did he recover, but he didn't suffer diarrhea again for about eight or ten months because the zinc not only helps to, to, to cure them from the first bout, but, but, but fend off others. In villages all across Senegal, Burkina Faso, Kenya, Ethiopia, UPMP, and um, Odisha, and in Gujarat and in India, the ZAC program with our financial support and the efforts of UNICEF and the efforts of MI are doing exactly that. They're bringing that knowledge to mums who need to learn that treatment so that they can bring the, build the demand to, 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 to help um, save their children's lives. The other example that I wanted to tell you about relative to um, number 10 is, 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 is also about children, but not children in the developing countries. It's in a, deve a developing part of a very developed country. We're the second, we run the second largest zinc mine in the world in, in Alaska, about 1,000 miles northwest um, of Anchorage, in an area that's mainly peopled by Inupiat Eskimos, Inupiat First Nation. In the 2007-8 period, the... Um, principal of the local school in a town called Kotzebue realized that having 12 to 17 children, teenagers, commit suicide every year was something that he had to address. And he developed a program, and for, for one and a half years, he was able to generate state funding, but, but that fell away. Um, I met this gentleman, and we, we talked and, 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 and tried to understand each other and what, what, what we might be able to do. And, and ultimately, we, what came out of it was a program we called John Baker, Kids Saving Kids um, Initiative. John Baker happens to be a, a musher who won the Iditarod one year and who we support and who we support because he's a, a role model for young Inuit and Inupiat people. But the Kids Saving Kids program was designed to empower teenagers in all of the schools in, in that part of rural Alaska to be able to be mentors for their fellows who were suffering from drugs, um, from sexual abuse, from physical abuse, to be able to give them an outlet that they trusted, which was other children. In the three years since we set that program up, there has not been one suicide in their communities. Wow. Wonderful. Thank you, Dad. Those are the kind of things that I think count and, and are mirrored by the principles we're celebrating today. Thank you. Wonderful examples. Juanita from Sherrod International. Thank you very much. Um, well, first off, uh, thank you very much to the Canadian Club and congratulations for your leadership in bringing this to a Canadian audience. Um, I also want to congratulate Save the Children 
uh, Global Compact and UNICEF for uh, bringing uh, what is um, extremely important work to, to the fore and something that will be extremely helpful for all of us. Uh, we're sort of the smaller mining company. Uh, we are sort of small to mid, mid-size, not too small, but not too big. Um, so we, we face uh, challenges in, in different ways uh, and have over the past year years. Um, we are known for our work uh, in Cuba, uh, where we have a mining uh, company with uh, a joint venture that we, we have there for nickel and cobalt. Uh, we also, through a joint venture, produce uh, power on the island, and uh, we, we produce oil and gas. Um, but what we've become known for more recently has been our work in Madagascar. Uh, in 2008, we began the construction of a mega project, is what we, we know as a mega project in the industry. Um, and that was a very sizable investment to develop um, a mine as well as a processing facility that would refine in country in Madagascar um, uh, the ore of nickel and, and cobalt. Uh, we also built a huge pipeline that would run for 220 kilometers to join the mine with uh, the facility. Um, what it meant is that it really um, put us in the forefront of what would be exposure and as well as um, uh, highlighted the fact that we were going to have a, a number of risks emerging uh, out of that, and we managed that in certain ways. But um, with respect to children and the protection of children, um, there were two areas that were of great concern that we uh, had identified, and that was the area of child labor and the second area being uh, the area of child sexual exploitation. Um, I, I lived in Madagascar for three years uh, at the beginning of our project, and my first trip there, uh, we, we actually had the opportunity to go down this particular road, and along the side of this road, uh, it, it, was, it was an area that was very close to uh, what would be very um, rocky uh, uh, mountainsides. And uh, this road, we were actually just going to see lemurs, and uh, we weren't expecting to be so impacted uh, by what we saw on the road. And this was actually my first trip there. Um, and what we saw was a series of scenes of very, very young children, as young as, as what could pick up a hammer, and they were all working with their families to uh, chip away at uh, stones to make gravel. And they were making gravel of different sizes, and you could see the, the, the piles. And it, it, um, it, it was a very um, uh, disturbing scene, I would say. I'm, I spent a lot of time growing up in the third world, and I must say that, that seeing this was, was, was um, uh, very difficult. Um, but it was a reminder of uh, the fragility of, of ourselves as we embarked on this massive project that we were about to uh, build uh, that we would have in terms of having to police uh, uh, where our supplies, in fact, came from. Uh, we were uh, coming in with wanting to have a, a policy of uh, maximum shared benefits wherever possible and indeed uh, large-scale programs to try to increase the amount of local sourcing uh, that we would have in the country. Indeed, since the start of construction, we've spent locally over $2.4 billion. So it's been a fair amount uh, of, um, of local sourcing. So how to police this and how to uh, set up systems to prevent uh, that any of our supplies and services would not come from child labor would become a bit of a challenge. Um, the other um, aspect was uh, the issue of child sexual exploitation. Uh, we would be mobilizing to this project over 25,000 people, both nationals and uh, expats, and uh, we knew that there would be a great deal of um, 
uh, of a, a large footprint that we would be having because we were going to be having workers across over 200 kilometers uh, working and interacting uh, with uh, communities. Um, we were uh, lucky at the time we, we actually um, uh, had a, a woman by the name of Nadine Grant who now works for PLAN. Uh, she was down in Madagascar. We hired her and she really led the charge with the leadership of UNICEF to uh, work together and embark on what would be seminal relationships to, uh, to get the support that we needed. We as a company are not experts in children's rights and are not experts in, in what uh, in the areas that needed to be supported. Um, and so we were uh, lucky to have UNICEF take a leadership role with us. We piggybacked uh, the program that they had uh, throughout the country uh, to try to uh, eliminate child sexual exploitation and we basically took all of their uh, pillars and inserted them into uh, our programs. We also um, got a lot of help on our, our code of conduct and, and our uh, zero tolerance policy that we implemented along with a number of programs that we did together. Um, so all to say that I am absolutely uh, thrilled to see that the business principles um, are being released. I, I salute uh, the numerous numbers of people who have gone before us uh, to establish the work uh, in the area of children's rights that uh, really have created the foundation that is the pillar that holds up uh, these, these business principles. And I'd like to say that they are extremely helpful in terms of guiding. We should, we should not underestimate the power of these principles in terms of helping mid-sized, smaller, and even larger companies uh, guide uh, their policies and their work going forward. Thank you. Thanks, Renita. All right. <laughs> we'll move on. Brendan from IKEA. Uh, I'd like to echo some of the uh, the thanks that have been spoken already to the Canadian Club for having us, of course, and, and congratulations to the organizations that have brought us uh, these wonderful principles. Um, as, as a contributor to the development of the principles, IKEA is particularly pleased to be part of the launch here in Canada. Um, how many of you know about IKEA? Okay. So I'll skip over some of the stuff that you probably already know and get to some of the things that you may not know about the company. And I'd like to start with, in fact, um, our vision statement as a company. It's not to sell the most furniture or make the most money. Uh, our vision statement as a company is actually to create a better everyday life for the many people. And I think that's really fascinating because it opens up the door to a conversation about what is a better everyday life and who are the many people. And we have identified that children, of course, are the most important people in the world. And you can see that uh, IKEA really takes the child's perspective into account um, right the way through our business. This is a core part of our business. And you can see it when you walk through our stores. Um, one of the examples that was brought to my attention uh, th this morning, and I hadn't thought to mention it today, was um, just the, the handrails going up the stairs in our stores. There's, there's a handrail for adults, and there's a handrail down below for children. Uh, the way we design our room sets, uh, right into product development and thinking about child safety, childhood development, uh, all of these things. You can see this common thread of a focus on children throughout IKEA's business. I think that's important to emphasize. Uh, a sense of play also is a part of that, which I think is, is great. Um, this dovetails beautifully with our overall sustainability approach. Uh, we've outlined it in a strategy called People and Planet Positive, and there are three main thrusts or pillars to that strategy. The first is to inspire and enable millions of people to live a more sustainable life at home. The second is to pursue our own resource and energy independence, looking at our own footprint and in our supply chain from an environmental standpoint, of course. And the third is to take the lead in creating a better uh, life for the people and communities who are touched by our business. 
and of course that includes children. And uh, a big part of this is, uh, is a commitment to improve the livelihoods of the people who are throughout our entire value chain and our supply chain. Um, and so there was a mention of, uh, of our work that we've done to prevent child labor, and I, I thought I'd share an example of that with you uh, that, that, that might be of interest. Um, so part of our commitment to, uh, to th those standards within our supply chain is a, a standard that we call iWay. And iWay is our supplier code of conduct that we've had in place since 2000, and it covers everything from uh, environmental impact to working conditions in factories and so forth uh, to a complete uh, zero-tolerance approach to bonded labor and child labor, of course, as well. So with that in mind, uh, I'd just like to share a story about, uh, about some sourcing that we've done in India. We've been purchasing product from India for uh, over 25 years. And in a particular uh, region of northern India called Uttar Pradesh, um, the traditional manner of carpet production has been very small scale. It's been done by hand, often by women, and often in the home. And you can imagine that that sort of setup, uh, where there are middlemen involved between the supplier and the actual production, it creates a number of risks. And uh, there, there's a lack of visibility throughout that process, not just for things like working conditions, but also for fair wages, um, for an oversight of quality, and, and all manner of things. So um, over many years, and in partnership with organizations like the ILO, um, with UNICEF, Save the Children, experts in this area, we've been able to establish very clear standards, take very active management of those standards, uh, and, and what that has resulted in is we've actually brought production of these carpets in-house at our suppliers. And when we've done that, what we've been able to do is have much better visibility into working conditions, into wages, um, and you eliminate a lot of those risks that I just described before. So by shortening our supply chain, in effect, there's been a whole bunch of ancillary benefits to our business as well from a cost standpoint and all sorts of other things. But this is really an, uh, an approach to address children's rights in a, in a very direct way. Um, and in conjunction with those investments in the business, we've also been able to make investments in the community in things like education, uh, training teachers, uh, health care, and making sure that children have good livelihoods in these areas. So it's a really long-term commitment to the region, and taking that long-term perspective has enabled us to see the progress that we have, uh, but also to, um, to, to really establish those long-term partnerships with our suppliers that have benefited our business as well. So I think that's an important uh, part to emphasize is the, the sort of that they go hand-in-hand in, hand in sort of parallel tracks. Um, we, we estimate that through this type of work, uh, specifically in India, uh, that by 2016 we will have touched 16 million children and 80 million women through these types of programs. So massive, massive impact. And, and I'll just close up by saying that I, I really um, am very pleased that these principles are here, not just for large organizations like ourselves, but for smaller ones as well to, to work with. They provide this lens um, that was described at the, at the very beginning of today's event uh, to be able to work with these, these principles and, and to have this child's perspective in all that we do. I think it's crucial. So thank you again for having us. Great. Okay. Um, so I'd like to be able to get to a couple of questions from the floor. And one of the questions that's come in that can go to any of the panelists here. So I'll just ask anybody who wants to reply to this. And it is kind of extensive because we've heard a lot from you about some of the things you're doing in other countries. But this is kind of the question that I think I'd like to know as well. Is that what are each of your companies doing in Canada to promote the rights of children right here? You've got anybody who wants to address that. Well, we, um, w w one thing we're doing is supporting um, 
um, the, the charity Free the Children. Free the Children is a fascinating, um, fascinating entity. It was started by two now men, then boys, mm -hmm. Kielbergers, and um, they, they, create, they, they um, grew up somewhere in East Africa, I'm not sure where, c believing that they were, uh, they were a lot better off than the children they saw around them, and they felt that there was a way of unlocking the energy and potential in kids in Canada to, to um, engage them in helping kids abroad, and that's become this movement where we have these We Days with 20,000 screaming teenagers in a, in a fascinating setup. And they come into it by having done something in, the, in civics in their community. They're nominated. They leave with a commitment to do something internationally. And, um, you know, I think that, that energy is now, they're, they're, they're going to Seattle. I think there's the London, L.A. That's just going to, it's just going to be a, I don't know what you'd call it, but it's just going to roll through the world in, in the developed world, this initiative. Mm -hmm. Anybody else? Sure. Yeah. Uh, I'm a parent of one of those children that's actually <laughs> been in those kinds of uh, gatherings, and it is quite extraordinary, the work that they do. Um, for us, again, as a branded company, brands like Dove and the work that we do with self-esteem with girls is for us central to not only what it is that we sell, but the brand proposition and the value behind that. So for us, it's a matter of engaging our own employees, customers, and therefore messaging to consumers the value of what it is that we bring into the marketplace with that kind of program. And as I said earlier, that's 1.2 million girls who are learning something about self-esteem mm -hmm. through a proposition that is brought to them through business. And that's a values proposition, not just a product offering. So it's kind of combining a number mm -hmm. of features in that space. Very good. Um, we actually have a couple of representatives from Sunnybrook School from grade six here who had, they told me they had many, 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 many questions. <laughs> but I picked one. This, is, this one is like solving world peace, but the, it's a great question. Is there another way to keep families out of poverty other than child labor? Anybody want to address that one? Is there any other way to keep children out of poverty other than child labor, assuming that child labor is there because the families need the economic sustainability, right? Uh, okay. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, uh, I, I think that's, uh, that's a curious question, but a great question mm -hmm. coming from the very people who are impacted by what that question actually means. Um, the example that I used earlier, and this, is, and this is, again, it's not a Canadian example. It is an international example. Um, the Shakti Entrepreneurial Program that we launched beginning in India that actually is spreading around the world is an example of how you twin economic opportunity with social development. And while it's a very small scale idea for individuals who take advantage of it, it is truly a micro entrepreneurial idea for women. The extraordinary thing that we've seen from this is that while these women who become distributors of products make only a very little amount of money when they do this, but they actually, in some cases, double the family income. That kind of example, both for the children who live with those women, but for the communities in which they operate, and the economic prosperity and the social development that actually comes from that is something that not only should you be using as an example of what to do in a location like that, but you should be thinking about, if, we're, if you're a business like ours, where else can we take those kinds of things? And I think that's directly relevant to how it is that you avoid then imposing economic and social consequences on the least, least able to defend themselves, which are the children. 
another ex um, example that I can share, which I think uh, may address the question, and, and it, it sort of broadens the scope going beyond labor into environmental and social issues more broadly. Um, some of you may not know, you, you think of wood as being a big raw material for IKEA, but we're actually a, a very huge purchaser of cotton as well for all of our textiles uh, in our range. And cotton production is, uh, is quite an environmentally intensive process. It, it can be a dirty process that involves a lot of water use, a lot of pesticides, fertilizers, chemicals, etc. And we source a lot of our cotton um, in various regions of the world, but particularly in India and Pakistan, again, um, we had a situation where we realized that there was an opportunity to improve the, the processes and practices in cotton production that would have these wonderful social benefits as well uh, to, to families. And so through education and engagement with a lot of these farmers, over 100,000 farmers to date, what we've been able to do is to dra dramatically reduce the amount of water that's being used to, to, to water the crops, to irrigate the crops, and also the amount of fertilizer and pesticides. So they're able to keep more money in their pockets, to hire more people, to keep their kids out of the fields, um, and, and just to have better livelihoods overall. So this is a, a really good example, I think, of how uh, you can use an even an environmental or social lens to start to address a, a, a problem or an issue and then you see a wide range of benefits. So it's been a very successful uh, project, uh, project for us so far. And, and today, I'm, I'm pleased to report also that IKEA has been able to now source 72% of our cotton from the Better Cotton Initiative or from similar, uh, similar programs or suppliers who are committed to adopting the principles of the Better Cotton Initiative as well. Thank you. Yeah, probably would say from a, from a mining perspective, um, I would say that two things to help uh, children get out of poverty. Uh, one would be buy locally, and the other would be hire women. Um, we set up a program uh, whereby we, we knew that we were going to be intaking uh, a lot of uh, food and purchasing a lot of food because we had to serve over 25,000 meals a day at one point. Uh, so we set up a program whereby we would actually purchase from local farmers and set up these uh, centers. Uh, we began to realize very quickly that the, all of the vendors tended to be uh, women, um, and many of them came with just one little basket uh, to sell, uh, carrying uh, not only a child on the back, but also with a child that was also carrying a child and another one uh, running behind uh, upon the delivery. The impact that that kind of program had was, was really uh, quite huge. It made us realize that beyond the big contracts for local um, uh, construction firms and the, the larger pieces, you know, we really had a responsibility of trying to disseminate and share the benefits as widely as possible. And uh, if, you can, if you do get creative uh, and, and uh, adopt policies that focus on this, uh, there are lots of solutions that uh, you can find to, to benefit uh, women and children. Yeah, and I was going to kind of, because I know we're probably getting hungry now speaking of food, right? <laughs> um, but just to end on and, and pick up where Juanita left off is I think the message that I'm certainly getting coming loud and clear that is in order to impact positive change in this area, that everybody can do something and that it can be quite creative, am I right? So if you had, maybe one or two of you had a quick tip for maybe businesses that are here that are just beginning to explore this area and need to get started somehow, what would you suggest? <laughs> Talk to local communities, listen, um, adopt their priorities, and it'll work. We, we created a, 
a little business inside a huge mining operation in, in uh, the high Andes of Peru that involved recycling rags. We were throwing them all away, using a lot, big cost. Well, not a huge cost, but a cost. Ultimately, it became a community business. Um, we were saving money, and uh, there were jobs for women, youth, and, uh, and, and men through it. And it, it, it arose because we listened to what they had to say and the ideas they brought forward. Excellent. John? Can I just build on that? Yes, talk, work in your local communities. Talk to your own employees. It is a foundational um, piece of how it is that you will go into the marketplace. Employees and, um, and people with whom employees are dealing on an ongoing basis will give you some of the best insights as to what your company and what your business and what your ideas are all about and how that can be brought into the marketplace. And by tapping into that, you actually exploit the energy that comes from that. Uh, that sits behind those ideas. So um, look inside as well as into your local communities as well. Excellent. Two quick insights that I would share. I think uh, the first is if you take a really sort of long-term perspective of, of your business success, uh, you can really start to understand the scope, the, the reach that your business has and the potential impact that it has. And in doing that, you're able to uh, identify the potential risks that you may have in your business, but also the opportunities that are there as well. So I think that, that type of approach is helpful just from a high level sort of a strategic approach. The other insight that I would share is partner with people who know. Mm -hmm. Partner with experts. I mean, IKEA is, this, these examples that I've shared are, are by no means uh, stories of things that IKEA is doing on its own. Um, I mentioned the ILO, UNICEF, Save the Children, these wonderful partners that have helped us with respect to prevention and child labor and, and promoting the rights of children and education and welfare around the world. And with the Better Cotton Initiative as well that I, that I talked about, that's a, a partnership among many, many businesses, uh, WWF, others, uh, to, to work on that. And, and that, that kind of expertise and insight is absolutely fundamental to be able to know how to address these, these challenges and to tackle them. Great. Anita, do you have any? Yeah. So that, that I think what's most important, is particularly for smaller uh, companies and even larger ones, is, is that we eliminate from our thinking that some of these risks and some of these problems will not happen to us. Mm -hmm. I think it's very important to, to do your risk matrix, to always think about what effect we can have and what benefits we can bring at all times. And this is a fabulous piece of work to start with. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, so to, to wrap up, so there really are blind spots to look out for as well as being becoming a champion in this area too, right? These two areas, very good. It's very rare that we would ever get a panel of people like this together all in one place, so I want to thank you so much for doing this, and I'm sure we've learned a lot, and we hope you'll continue this discussion at your tables over lunch, because it is a broad topic. Thank you very much. Diana, John, Doug, Juanita, and Brendan, thank you for engaging us in a wide-ranging uh, discussion on the children's rights and business principles <clears throat> and how they apply to your organizations. Um, and, uh, and Lois, we're so pleased that you could be here to, on behalf of the Government of Canada to welcome the principles to Canada and for sharing your personal stories with us. Um, David, Patricia, and Halley, we appreciate your organization's demonstrated commitment to advancing children's rights in this innovative way. Best wishes as you uh, put forth the implementation phase, and we look forward to welcoming you back to the club to report on the initiative's results. While today's program is drawing to a close, today marks the beginning of this important initiative. The initiative's success is dependent on individual and collective action. 
Individually, we can all play a role in advancing these principles in the workplace, marketplace, and community. You may start by discussing what you've heard here today with colleagues, family, and friends. You can also continue the conversation right here at table over lunch. There will be representatives at each of the tables to facilitate these discussions and collect your feedback. This concludes our television programming, which will be broadcast on Rogers TV in the days to come. We are grateful to Rogers TV for their continued promotion of Canadian club events. And now, ladies and gentlemen, please rise as you are able and join me in a toast to Canada. To Canada. Enjoy your lunch. <laughs>